this next series here in July, it, myself and Pastor Roger Lavasa will be tag teaming on this subject of war and peace, discovering the best ways to deal with conflict. Now we'll, we'll be talking about conflict in the workplace, conflict, uh, spiritual conflict, spiritual warfare, and, uh, and, and today we're kicking it off with understanding conflict as opportunity. Now, when you think of conflict, what comes to mind? You know what comes to my mind when I think of conflict? Boxing gloves. I am the youngest of uh, five kids. My, uh, my uh, uh, dad grew tired of my brother and I, who's just three years older than I am, all constantly fighting. That never happens in anybody else's house, right? And, uh, and so he got so sick of us uh, uh, fighting and all that he went out and bought a set of boxing gloves and put them on us and threw us up out in the backyard and, uh, and said, all right, I want to go after it. Now, understand, I'm three years the younger. I was a little bigger, just a shade bigger than my brother, three years my elder. But uh, he was a lot stronger, a lot more wiry, and a lot smarter. And, uh, and the problem when, we, when we, we donned these boxing gloves is that my dad would root for me. And I'm going, shut up, dad! You know? <laughs> Because the more my dad yelled for me, the more my brother just pummeled me, and it, you know, it wasn't a good thing. Uh, but so oftentimes we, we have different thoughts, different feelings, emotional uh, connections to this idea of conflict, and, uh, and not all of them are always healthy. Uh, the classic idea, of course, is there's fight or flight, and uh, it's either stand up and duke it out, and go for the win or get away from there as fast as you can. Well, in this, in this series, we want to we discover what are the best ways to deal with conflict. How are we going to take advantage of this? Because, you know, there might be some of you here today that say, well, why should I even care about this? You know, I just, if I want your opinion, Jerry, I'll beat it out of you. You know, uh, you know what, what, do we, what do we even care about, about this kind of uh, idea? And, and you know what? That's a fair question. So let me tell you why this is important in your life. Whether, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're considering becoming a follower of Jesus or you're just here for the coffee and donuts this morning, yeah, that's cool. What, what is important is, is that how you deal with conflict matters in how you get along in this life, obviously, right? That, uh, that as Thomas Edison quoted as saying, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Well, I would dare say to you this morning that, that the opportunity when it comes to conflict is the opportunity not to put on boxing gloves, but to put on work gloves. To, to look at it as an opportunity for God to do something both in your life and in the people around you, and, and for God, ultimately for God to be glorified. So that's where we're headed this morning. And I want you to remember this. Remember this. In fact, you can, you can repeat after me. Every time I face conflict, I am faced with an opportunity to get better. Deeper relationships. You can stop there. Yeah. Deeper relationships. Deeper relationships. 
find a better solution, learn a new skill, create a new alliance, build greater trust. We have opportunities all along the way if we'll take these, those moments of conflict and, and put on the work gloves and say, God, what, what are you up to in this? James says it like this in James 1, 2, verses 2 and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. How we deal with and how we approach conflict is the difference between simply surviving or thriving. And it may be in your job, it may be within your family relationships, or, or even the mo more intimate marriage relationship. The reality is, is God wants us to thrive in this. So someone once said, conflict, defined as this way, conflict is two or more objects trying to occupy the same space at the same time. Two or more objects, try, aggressively, one person said, trying to occupy the same space at the same time. There's a, the old story of the battleship that had been at sea on its routine maneuvers under heavy weather conditions for, for days on end. And the captain, who was worried about uh, the deteriorating weather conditions, stayed on the bridge of, of his ship to keep an eye on all the activities. And one night, the lookout called onto the bridge and, and suddenly shouted, Captain! a light bearing on the starboard bow. Now, I learned in first service, the starboard bow is the right side. Yes? Okay, just so you know that. And, uh, and uh, he, the captain asked back, is it stationary or, a moving, or moving astern? The lookout replied that it was stationary. This meant that the battleship was on a dangerous collision course with the other ship, and the captain immediately ordered his signalman to signal to the ship, we are on a collision course. I advise you to change course 20 degrees east. Back came a response from the other ship. You change course 20 degrees west. Agitated by this, uh, by this er seemingly arrogant response, the captain asked the signalman to shoot out another message. I am a captain and I tell you, you better change course 20 degrees to the east. Back came the second response. I am a second-class seaman. You had still better change course 20 degrees west. Now the captain was furious. He shouted to the signalman to send back a final message. I am a battleship. Change course 20 degrees east right now. Back came the flashing response, I am a lighthouse. <laughs> the captain changed course. <laughs> Two objects trying to occupy the same space at the same time. Creating conflict. Creating conflict. And that, that conflict can look like a that those two objects can look like a, several different things. The, circum, the circumference of my waist and the size of my pants, that creates conflict. Uh, two opinions trying to occupy the same space in my brain, 
two desires in a relationship, two different needs, two boys after the same young lady or two companies looking to claim the same customers. It's always two objects seeking to occupy the same space at the same time. So in order to take advantage of this opportunity when conflict arises, if we, if we truly believe that conflict is opportunity and work close, how do we approach this? What can we learn? How do we learn to thrive in it? Well, this morning I want to point out some, some uh, uh, simple things from Scripture that help us to embrace this idea of conflict, begin to change our approach to it, and, uh, and learn some new tactics along the way. First of all, conflict is common. We need to understand this. That whatever conflict you're faced with right now in your marriage, whatever conflict you're faced with with your roommate, whatever conflict is happening at work, that, that this is common. It's as common and as old as creation itself. For the first conflict in the Bible is recorded in the third chapter of Genesis. When when Satan, the serpent, was said to be the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made, one day asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And thus begins that seed of doubt, and thus begins the accusatory tone from the serpent that as the temptation took, it, took full full course, and the woman ate and then gave to the man, and they became aware of their own sin. And it says in verse 8, when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. And what'd they do? It says, so they hid from the Lord their God among the trees. Conflict avoidance is a strategy and we see it at the very first time in the garden. Rather than face God, they ran away from God. Rather than face the situation and the realities of what needed to happen, they chose to try to hide. Not, like a, not unlike many of us, some of us. We each have our own different strategies of how we deal with conflict. And sometimes avoidance is, is helpful, and we're going to talk about that down the down the line, but we, we see it, it's as common as, as human history, that conflict. And throughout the Old Testament, brothers face conflict. Families, nations have been dealing with it. But, but when it comes to Jesus, what about Jesus? How did, how did Jesus deal with conflict, right? What, what, what went on with him? Well, we find in Scripture that Jesus engaged in conflict. Yeah, he actually created it. When we read in Matthew 21, 12, 13, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, the scripture declares, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have made, turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus literally steps in and creates this conflict. So what does that tell us? 
that sometimes conflict is needed, isn't it? Sometimes there's a moment when we have to face the issues. It's time to face the truth. We find that Jesus resolved conflict. When in chapter, uh, John chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, we, the story of this woman caught in adultery and says, and as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says the stoner, what do you say? And there, of course, as we, the scripture goes on, Jesus makes it very clear that he who is without sin, the person who who is absolutely blameless, why don't you cast the first stone? Let's, let's start there. And in that, they all turned and dropped their stone and walked away because they knew. Jesus resolved that conflict in that moment by pointing to the truth, by causing people to look inside themselves rather than look at the offense by turning an eye back onto my own participation and not just on the guilt of others around me. Jesus also, at one point, avoided conflict. And I think this is really interesting. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in Nazareth and uh, and he's talking, he's presenting himself in public and, and, uh, and, and this whole conversation leans towards him being, being like God and really ch- challenging their thinking and their, uh, some of their traditions. And it says, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and took him to the edge of the hill on which the city was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he slipped away through the crowd and left them. Here we have Jesus doing the very thing we talked about earlier. He's avoiding the conflict. And you know, that is a good strategy sometimes, as a temporary strategy, to step back and let let the conflict subside, to, to not make issue. I mean, think of it if Jesus would have put on the boxing gloves, per se, at that moment, right? He could have made a mess of the whole crowd, uh, spiritually speaking, and, and spiritual authority, right? I mean, he could have, could have really messed things up. But uh, he chose to take a step back. It wasn't his time. There are moments that it's best to engage, and there are moments when it's best to step back and let things settle for a bit. We find uh, it's common in the early church as well. In Acts chapter 15, there was huge discussion over tradition and how much tradition had to be observed to even be called a Christian, to be called a follower of Jesus. What were the, what were the bare minimums? And, uh, and those who had leaned towards Jewish tradition felt like it, it was important to keep some of these rules and they had, they had a big debate. It was, conflict is not, all, it is not a bad thing. It is common. It is common. If it happened in the Bible, 
It's most likely happening even in this very room right now. There is tension. There is conflict. There is underlying issues between individuals. And I want you to hear this this morning. Because conflict is common, it doesn't, you don't have to feel isolated and alone. Sometimes in our marriages, as married people, we can, we can feel like we're the only ones going through this. And, and, and there's such a sense of aloneness and isolation. This morning, understand, God knows exactly where you're at and what you're going through. And it is common. Psychologists say that there are five common uh, things going on and can continue to go on in marriages. Uh, There's always something about the kids, something about money, something about unmet expectations. Uh, The five things, money, sex, work, parenting, and housework. As as a relationship goes on, these things are common. The question is not in in that... uh, that we have to address them. The issue is how we address them that makes the difference. How will we go about it? So secondly, the thing I I see in Scripture is that conflict is simple but not easy. That that we tend to overcomplicate things. We tend to want to overcomplicate, because quite honestly, if we can complicate it, we might be able to find an excuse out of it. But as, uh, as I've been going through a transformational leadership, and some of you might recognize this as familiar, uh, it states this simply, biblical truth is simple but not easy. And because it's not easy, we make it complicated, Right? And so we choose to live in the river of complication. But when we decide to cross the bridge of transformation, and that's what Romans tells us, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to think differently, to think clearly, to think on truth. We discover that what what is simple but not easy becomes easier. It becomes easier. Conflict is, is simple, but it's not easy. It takes work. You've got to put on the work gloves to go after it. Now, there are some common causes. While the themes, while the themes can range multiple ideas between the kids and parenting and elder, elderly parents, all of these issues uh, that, we, that we have to deal with, the reality is that the causes of conflict are very common. Number one, simple misunderstandings. And we see these in Scripture. Misunderstandings. In Joshua chapter 22, and I won't take time to, to read the whole story, but basically there was a part of the Jewish people that were going to, after the conquest of, of uh, the promised land, they were splitting up and two and a half tribes were headed back to the east side of the Jordan. When they, when they got ready to cross the east over to the east side of the Jordan, they built a monument there on the west side, and 
the, uh, it was reported back to the spiritual leaders that were, that were going to be staying on the west side, the rest of the nine and a half tribes, and they were totally offended because they thought they interpreted this monument as a different idol, a new altar, and, uh, and it had already been established that they would only worship in one place, not multiple places. So they were literally ready, to, they were sending armies out and they were going to wipe out the two and a half tribes of their own people. And it was a simple misunderstanding because they built the monument, nothing more to remind everyone that they would always have a part with the people on the West, that they, they would always be one people. Misunderstandings. It never happens in your household, right? George Bernard Shaw says this, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. We convince ourselves that we have clearly communicated what, what my need is, what my desire is, when all along... That's not really the case, is it? Misunderstandings create conflict. Now, let me, let me share this misunderstanding with you because I, I picked this off of Facebook, a friend of mine, and, and works in Hawaii. He says they were out working one day and, and a coworker's phone rang. Well, he didn't recognize the number, so uh, he just let it go to voicemail. And when he listened to the voicemail a little later, this is what they, they uh, heard, and this is where the fun, fun begins. Mabel, this is Faye. I'm calling to remind you rent is due. I don't want any problems this month. Now, Henry told me you got paid today, so I need you to get on up here to the house by 5 o'clock. Well, he, he writes it. They got a good chuckle out of this and kind of ignored it. But it didn't stop there. She calls back, leaves a voicemail. Mabel, you know this is Faye. I got that there. I know you got that there caller ID. I don't know what you, what to think other than I'm starting to wonder about you. It make it's past five and you're not here. You better not make me come a looking for you. Well, it's, uh, after catching her breath from laughing, we thought she needs to know. So uh, he, he calls up, my friend calls up uh, Faye in North Carolina. Hello? Is this Faye in North Carolina? Why, yes, it is. Well, Faye, my name is Rich, and you called this number looking for Mabel, and uh, I have to tell you, you have the wrong number. No, I didn't call the wrong number. I'm afraid you did, Faye. Uh, my name is Rich, and, and this isn't Mabel's number. I don't know who you are, but this is Mabel's number. Did she put you up to this? She didn't put me up to this because I don't know her. And honest, ma'am, you have the wrong number. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. Well, I don't know how you got her phone, but I've been calling her on this number for nine months. In fact, I got it memorized. There's problem one. So where is she really? Are you two down in some motel? 
Faye, I don't know her. And in fact, I'm not in North Carolina. I'm in Oahu, Hawaii. Now you're just making things up. <laughs> Hawaii, good grief, that's clear on the other side of the country. Now realizing that Rich is no match for Faye, Rich says, well, Faye, Mabel doesn't have this number anymore, so please don't call it. I still don't know why she would have given you her phone. When, she, when you see her, you tell her to call me because I'm coming looking for her in the morning. Yes, ma'am, when I see her, I'll tell her. I'll let her know to call you right away. You be sure to do that. I will, ma'am. You have a good evening. I will. Thank you for calling. <laughs> and, and then Rich writes, I need your help. If any of you run into Mabel, <laughs> let her know that uh, Faye is looking for her, and apparently my coworker has her phone. Misunderstandings, right? They're easy to come by. We can, we can so easily misunderstand or believe that we've, been, we've clearly communicated something when the response, obviously, is that there's something else at play here. Maybe I don't truly understand it all. Some of us say, if I just speak a little louder, that will help them understand better, right? No, none of you do that. Uh, use different words, stronger words, harsher words. Somehow that'll help them understand a little better. Misunderstanding is a huge source of conflict and so easily and simply fixed if we'll just listen. What exactly do you think you heard me say? Right? Other common, common factors into uh, conflict are differing values or goals and priorities. This is this is what we see going on in Acts chapter 15 where there are, they're, they're fighting over what are, what are the priorities when they came to that understanding that the real priority is Jesus and what he did on the cross. That tradition always, always, always takes a back seat to the work of the cross and what Jesus did for us. Can I tell you, the cross is the leveling foundation for all of us. That all conflict ends at the cross because Jesus paid the ultimate price. He paid for our sin and finding forgiveness at the cross changes my identity. I'm now no longer guilty. What I am is forgiven. And that changes everything. Competition over resources is a common cause of conflict. In Genesis 13, we, we read about Abraham and Lot's two, uh, two herds and their herdsmen fighting over water resources. And, and they, they had to come to some compromise, some, some, uh, some discussion together. And, and coming up with a, perhaps, the better idea, or the third idea, that we'll hear about later on. 
when we collaborate and truly listen to one another, we can come up with creative ideas that, uh, that are better than the two co the competing ideas for the one space. Competition over resources. But one of the most common of conflicts, and when conflict really turns ugly, when conflict ceases to wear the work gloves and people start putting on the boxing gloves, it's described in James chapter four like this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have it, have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So much of conflict, interpersonal conflict particularly, it really ends up rolling into to some of these areas that I just want what I want. I just want my needs to be fulfilled. And if you can't get that right, then maybe we ought to put on the gloves. There's, there's just so much that what James is saying here is look inside yourself. Start with, with your issues. Start with what's going on in you because that's, that's the opportunity. Jealousy, pride, unforgiveness, envy, these are things that generate. And, when, and, when, and we'll talk about this next week. When my identity is twisted, when I make, when I make the conflict about me and somehow I, my, my twisted identity and I don't, don't really, I, there's doubts about really who I am, they can generate all kinds of issues within the conversation. But I want you to understand this, like temptation, like temptation, conflict is not automatically sin. Obviously, if Jesus engaged in it, it isn't sin. Rather, it can lead to sinful behavior. That's why Paul says, be angry and sin not. It's how we respond to the conflict that gets us into crossways and into, into trouble, both with the one we're dealing with and, and ultimately sensing isolated and further away from God. So let me, let me quickly share this. As I've stated, conflict is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to demonstrate the presence and power of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, see, this is rolling right out of a, of a values conflict that they are having. Whatever you do, you must do it how? Do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. You see, 
Paul says, make it all about God and not about you. When we look at, at, at conflict as an opportunity, if we'll make it about him, God, what are you up to? And how can you best be glorified in this situation? As long as I stay focused on me and my, and, and my desires and my wants, it, it goes back to that James passage. You just want to spend it on yourself. You have not because you're asking in a wrong motive. So you can just spend it on you. Start asking. The minute the tension starts, God, what are you up to? What do you want to do here? And then he goes on and says, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. Wow, really, Paul? That's quite a statement. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. That's the second opportunity here. We have an opportunity to give God the glory, but we also have an opportunity when conflict arises is to really dig in deep and see how we can serve the other person. It's a step back and say, hey, maybe, maybe this person has some needs that I haven't been fully aware of. Don't you know there's always one more thing you don't know about what's going on in that person's life? Have you ever just been caught off guard as somebody just totally unloads on you and, and, and you feel this great offense, remind yourself there, there's always one more thing going on in that person's life that you aren't aware of. What's my opportunity to serve here? What's my opportunity to help this person grow? And especially if it's a loved one, especially if it's a family member, What's my opportunity to, to truly serve this person? If I can get the focus off of me and onto God and onto others, it can be a game changer. Mother Teresa is quoted as saying this, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Finally, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it says, and, and it's, it's all connected, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. The opportunity is to glorify God, to serve others, but there's also a great opportunity for growth here in me. A tremendous opportunity for growth. Remember, conflict creates change. I'll say it again. Conflict creates change. Say it with me. Conflict creates change. It will always change a relationship. It'll either make it better or it can weaken it. But either way, conflict will bring change. If we get it right, if we put on the work gloves and take the, take the opportunity as it presents itself to learn and grow, then that change, both in our relationship and in ourselves, can, can deepen. 
Gwen and I served as missionaries in Mexico for a total of eight years. We were down there our first four years, and then we came home and for a year, and we're, we're getting ready to go back. We had, the last year of our first term, we had, we had put our kids in this little, uh, little missionary school. It was about 30 students, and we had three children, and we were, we were trying to, it, in part it was a financial decision, but you know, we, we, we went ahead and put our kids in this school, and, and really, un, unbeknownst to me, there, evidently, when we left, we left some unresolved conflict there, because when it was time for us the next year to return back to Mexico, I called up, and we were, we were making arrangements to put our kids back into that school when, uh, <clears throat> when we were told, your kids aren't welcome back in the school this year. And I, I was completely taken back. So what, what do you mean? Did, did my kids do something wrong? Had they misbehaved? What, what, what's this about? No, it's not them, it's you. Mr. Gibson, you have anger issues. And I will tell you, James 1, verses 2 and 3, it did not feel like pure joy. I felt misjudged. I felt misunderstood. I felt, I felt humiliated. A whole flood of, of things. I, I, and and I got to tell you, my faith was tested. My faith in, in God, God, where am I going to put my kids? What are we going to do? My, my faith in, in my fellow believers, because this was a, a Christian organization, and somehow I, I, I felt like I didn't even have an opportunity to make it right. It was, and I will own, I will own it, yeah. I know the moment they're talking about, and I may have, tried to emphasize my, my position in a louder voice, right? And I gotta tell you, it hurt me deeply. And I made a choice that day, in that time, and that, that over the course, we went back to Mexico and we homeschooled. And I did not, I made a choice not to defend myself. I wrote a letter of apology. I made a choice to allow God to work in my life. God, I, I said, God, I never want to have to walk through this again. Will you help me? I made a choice to look inside myself and ask God to, to do his work by his Holy Spirit. And I, again, it didn't feel like pure joy. But it became pure joy because God changed me. You see, change, conflict will bring change. And I had the opportunity to, to become bitter. I had the opportunity to cast blame on leadership. I had the opportunity to attack God helped me 
And I, and I took the opportunity to put on some work gloves. Say, God, go to work in me. How about you this morning? Whatever you might be going through, whatever situation, whatever, whatever kind of stage of conflict you might be engaged in right now, first and foremost, I want to encourage you to find your peace with God. Because at the end of the day, we want God to get the glory. God, I don't want to make this about me. I want to make it about you. So God, what do you want to do? How can I give you glory in this? In your circumstance today, would you look to God and then ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me where, if I'm not at peace with you, God, would you forgive me? Seek his forgiveness. And let him do a deep work in you. He wants to change us, folks. That's what it means to follow Jesus with our whole hearts. That's what we do here at Horizon, right? Encouraging one another to follow Jesus with our whole heart. That means taking a look in the mirror, saying, in this conflict, God, what do you want to do in me?